0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle brought to you by Fullscale.io.
1: What's up, hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgan, founder of Marknology, here today as your host for Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, entrepreneurship, Today, we're specifically talking about expanding your e-commerce business. It's going to be a great episode. Today's episode of Startup Hustle is supported by Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat discussing tech topics big, small, and strange. Compiler unravels industry topics, trends, and the things you've always wanted to know about tech through interviews with the people who know it best. Learn more about Compiler at RedHat.com or clicking the link in our show notes. I, I honestly um, I don't always get a chance to check out everything. Um, Including our sponsors, but I, I have actually listened to every episode of the Compiler podcast that they've released so far. Um, it's cool. It's a cool format. It's uh, full of great information. There's absolute experts on the call. Honestly, I'm like, how do they not let this these people talk the entire time? That's how that's how great some of the um, you know the content is on the podcast. I encourage you to check it out. Compiler by Red Hat. Thanks again to them for for putting on our episode and and getting more eyeballs and, and ears listening. I think it's going to be an awesome episode. Um, without further ado, uh, this is a a new friend of mine, a colleague. Um, we don't consider each other competitors, but we're, we're in the same game with the same passions. Um, and I'm excited to bring him to the table. So from globally commerce experts, Andy Hooper, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Andrew, thank you very much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to be on. So thanks for having us
1: yeah well, I'm glad you're here I know you uh you left the house come back to the office to make sure we could get quiet for this podcast um, you're across the pond uh, so to speak in in Europe so a few hours ahead of us I really appreciate you taking the time to um, you know share some value with any of our listeners today
0: no problem no I'm excited to do that it's uh it's one of those sort of things that you know, people often ask about and then they sort of start talking about in the The more you ask questions about what we do, sort of the deeper the knowledge gets and people start going, wow, there's a lot of information there. Um, So it's great to get on this sort of thing to sort of really dispel some of the myths and talk to legends like yourself about, you know, your experiences as well, because that's hugely valuable for everyone listening.
1: Yeah, we're going to have some fun today because one, we're both named Andrew. Uh, I used to go by Andy when I was younger. I'm Drew now um just kind of like reinvented myself in my 20s but uh you know we're both andies um we both love e-commerce we both love amazon um you know we're both in this game i think that's fun and and something new for me maybe the podcast has brought some of it but also just you know the growth whether it's internationally or just the growth around e-commerce and amazon has really created more networking events um the last year or so just meeting other people other colleagues other agency owners has been super enlightening for me um not because of competition because there's so many brands that need what we do and so many places to go with it but more so just what are the other experts doing you know what are some people doing that i don't know about you don't know what you don't know and and you know kind of that thought process of iron sharpens iron so i'm excited to get into it um I love starting the beginning of the show, getting to know a little bit about you instead of just getting into the title and, you know, everything that our businesses do. But um, for our listeners, you know, this is a podcast by founders for founders. Okay, so that's the kind of context that we try to approach the show. Um, Let's talk a little bit about Andy. Like, how did you get your start? Uh, Were you always an entrepreneur, like from from a child or is it something you kind of like came across on accident? You know, how did you get involved?
0: Yeah, you know, it's an interesting one i think when i was a when i was a nipper a kid i i definitely had that ability to be able to think oh you know, i remember being at school and you know, my mum would go to the local um cash and carry and buy a load of you know bits and then i'd take them to school and sell them um and i would sort of flip stuff i'd do garage sales or you know uh, you know car boot sales or whatever it happened to be i was always sort of trying to make cash. You know, yeah, I did a news round. I did a second news uh, newspaper round. I did a second newspaper round. I was always looking at ways to bring in extra cash. And from, you know, from probably about 10 or 11, I was finding ways of earning snippets here and there. So I guess I've always had that in me, if you like. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, here in the UK, it's go get a nine to five, go get a job. You're not successful unless you've got a job. And, you know, like most entrepreneurs... Or or business owners, I was told, uh, you'll never get anywhere. I was sort of the joker in class. Uh, I I did okay at school. You know, I didn't really excel. I liked working. I didn't really like education. Mm -hmm. And when I left school, I went and did various bits and bobs. I worked in retail. I worked in a warehouse in, in the retail world in a large department store here. Got into sales. And then I followed my passion. And everyone should follow their passion. Mm. So at that point, I then went and taught sailing around the world. Okay. So I, I, I'm am a I'm a sailor. I've been a sailor all my life. And I went and taught sailing and windsurfing in most parts of the world. Like a and, yacht
1: like a like you were the, the skipper of a yacht or like help me understand so sailing.
0: A little bit smaller than that. So little dinghies. So okay. small dinghies and windsurf boats. My job was to you know, bring people on holiday, teach them to sell, teach them to windsurf, and get them learning how to do it and into an advanced level. Depending were, you, on... were you in the UK at this time? Well, most of it wasn't in the UK. Uh, okay. I did a lot in Europe, a bit in the Middle East, a bit in India, um, You know, sort of all the way around the world, Egypt, be in Africa. I knew and I liked you. It, do you know what? It gave me some really amazing coaching skills the ability to coach people and develop different types of people. Exactly that. Then I thought, well, I better come back and get a job. And I better, you know, I can't really do season after season after season. And, and in fact, in my last season, I was running a a windsurf and kitesurf school in Egypt. And we had a target to sell additional things. And I went and got board shorts made. There was a local um, person coming back to that. You know, mm, none of the money was I'm mine, excited. like the centers, but I went and got all these board shorts designed and we sold them to the, to the punters. It was amazing. Um, so that was great. So I think I still had that there. And then I got back, got a job and basically my job was to get more people into sailing. I was working for the governing body of sailing here in the UK. British sailing is, is renowned for being the best sailing nation in the world. Just like to get that in there. Uh, but on top of that, yeah, the job was about getting more people into the sport and over that period, I did that role for nine years. But over that period, that's when that fire started to come back. You
1: if you know, can convince people to get into sailing, you can maybe convince them to get into anything. Or at least like you're like, that's what I actually like. I like sailing, but I also just like what I learned while I was convincing people to like sailing.
0: Yeah, it was. Well, you know, what? I I absolutely 100% loved my job. Like if it was just about the job, I would never have left. But you know, I, I got married, I had kids, I needed some extra cash. I'm like, how do I make extra cash? I need to buy a house. I need to start developing this a bit further. So what do I need to do? <coughs> Excuse me.
1: I wanna say I wanna pause right there. I'm gonna let you catch your breath. Yeah. Um, there's something you said, like kind of in your storyline, and I like to point out the similarities between founders and entrepreneurs. Like, you know, we have different paths, and you feel so alone as a kid, I think, against society or whatever, but honestly. Yeah a lot of entrepreneurs and founders have the same exact story in line. Um, You know, for me, sailing was being in a band and touring and playing music, writing my own music, playing cover shows for four hours at a bar of my favorite nineties to make money, you know, to pay for my tour and things like that. And I was, I loved what I did. I met a girl and wanted to be able to take care of them and financially being in a band was fine for me, but it wasn't fine for anything (laughs) more. Right. And so, you know, See, can see the similarities between them. And, and one other thing I would say for anyone like, you know, a younger person maybe tuning into the show. Um, I lived in Africa, grew up in Africa, moved to the U.S. at 16. I didn't do well in the school system um, for a number of reasons uh, because I like to work uh, and because yep. studying didn't make sense to me if they're just going to teach me out of a textbook. Like if the teacher actually had experience, I feel like I paid attention and I could listen to stories. But I'm a hands-on learner. And so, you know, I always thought I was a bad student until I started studying what I actually was passionate about, Yeah, you know, and that's when I found e-commerce and went all in because I was like, actually, I'm an amazing student if I'm inspired by what I'm, what I'm studying. Uh, So So it's just, it's just finding, finding the right thing. Okay. So catch your breath. Yeah. So back back to it. Yeah.
0: So at, at that point I started thinking, what can I do to earn extra money? So I started flipping stuff on eBay. We were doing car boot sales. It's a bit like a garage sale, you know. Uh we I started selling stuff on Amazon. I started uh looking at
1: so arbitrage, buying from garage sales and selling it on Amazon, or where were you sourcing?
0: No, I was sourcing I started with um silicon watches. Uh you could buy there was this big fad, I don't know, twelve, thirteen years ago, silicon watches, you could buy them from China, very, very cheap. They come over and they release, you just don't they literally just fit fit on your on your arm. Uh, So I started doing that. We did, we looked after people's dogs when they went on holiday and and earned cash that way. Basically anything I could do to earn some cash, you know, some additional cash. Then uh, I, it was my cousin's wedding and my dad, my dad was photographing my cousin's wedding. And I was like, I like taking photos. I'll help you. So that, I then, then I took some nice photos. A friend said, Hey, I saw those. Could you photograph my wedding? I was like, ah, yeah, sure. Mm. And then I was like, I can make some extra cash from this too. So I then did wedding photography. The wedding photography then gave me an excellent income and I built that up as my second income. That gave me enough money for a deposit on a house. And it also after that then gave me enough money saved up to be able to set up, to leave work and set up a business. And I then set up a 3D printing scanning business. So I love it. 3D scan you. And on that 3D scan, I would then print you. So when you get married, imagine getting married, you have your photos, and then you get an ornament of you on your wedding day as well.
1: I mean it was picturing like a cake topper, but maybe not.
0: And we did hundreds of cake toppers. Okay. Uh, And I and off the back of that I also set up a sports consultancy where we spoiled and helped people coming back to my sports Mm -hmm. roots. But the reality of all of those was is they weren't scalable. And you know, the market, although it was great, wasn't really where I had visions. You know, yes, I could earn really good money on my own, but it wasn't something necessarily I was going to be able to bring mass people in. Mm. It wasn't something that was going to be able to perhaps give me a, a, a good exit at some point. So I was looking for something that I could scale and grow. And that's when I start, you know, 3D printing is a massive market now. You know, there's lots going on in that 3D printing, but it's not mass market. It's yeah. still very, very niche. And I'm like, well, that's great, but it's not there. It's not going to be there for another 10 years. So, whilst on anything, I was like, well, hold on. I was flipping stuff on eBay and Amazon and I was doing that. Let's start doing a bit of that again. So I started doing that. And then uh, I started working with somebody else and doing some consultancy for them. And this sort of idea came that, well, actually, this e commerce thing, how can we expand sellers from the States typically to Europe? They were an accountant. I had this idea. We started moving these ideas around. And before you know it, this global e commerce experts idea sort of came out of the ground.
1: And that's what, what, what year was this? What year was this?
0: So this was 2016.
1: Okay, I love it. I just like a little bit of timeline as someone that's been in space a long time, I'm like, okay, what was happening at that time? You know, like what was the craze? What was the boom? What were the features available? Um I got involved in e-commerce 2012. Okay? So a startup like car parts online, eBay like, yep. you know, it's not kind of the same time. It was really like 2015, I feel like, which is was like the glory years of Amazon when they released advertising and it was, you know, so cheap um and can remember even at that time like expanding a brand to europe it was like the global eu at the time like which in my mind was crazy like i'm taking a brand international what do i yep. even know that i'm doing and something that comes to mind that i can't help but point out here i just like pointing these things out is like you know when i was in a band for four and a half years touring i was creating uh album covers writing music uh booking shows booking tours coordinating with other bands communicating yep. at the show i'm selling you know i'm selling we have to perform in order to be able to come back um, There are so many aspects you know then i'm a bartender then i'm a security guard then i'm a landscaper then i'm a warehouse worker i'm a worker like i'm a, See, i've always said i'm a blue collar guy in a white collar world exactly you
0: know? and, and all of those things those skills you learn whether it be you know one bit or another you've learned you've probably learned photoshop website design you know video skills audio like Everything, you've gone, how do I do that? I can't afford to do that. Hold on a second. Let's go to YouTube, right? Everything is on YouTube. Everything you need to learn is there. So you start, as you say there uh, earlier, you start educating yourself and that's when you fall back in love with, ah, like the photography thing for me was the the bit where I was like, well, I want to be a wedding photographer. Okay, how do I do that? What do I need to learn? Right, camera. That's easy. I go out and take hundreds of photos, learn what's rubbish, start, you know, and tweak them and tweak them and tweak them. Go back to YouTube. Oh, how'd you do this? It's all there, and all of a sudden you start educating yourself, and you realise that that education piece isn't about maths, English, and science, and history and geography. All the stuff that you, unless you're into it, is pretty dull. Like to me, history—I I don't know about if many people here at you, entrepreneurs, founders, business owners—what's happened in the past is in the past. There's no no relevance whatsoever other than history does repeat itself but like that's all you need to know Like yeah. it, 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 history it, it's gone what do i need to know i'm too busy busy going what's going on there, over there let's go um and i think a lot of people feel a school like that and they don't fall into the you teachers that are then like well you'll make nothing of yourself because you can't educate yourself and you can't, can't follow
1: you can't follow you know exactly well, not all of us are followers no right i can follow in certain aspects but in others i need to lead like you know it just depends like for me i was working under leaders that didn't have my vision like i was passionate about e-commerce they needed to go to a conference that didn't exist yet in order to be told that e-commerce was the thing or amazon was the thing then they would come back from the conference and be like oh well i'm like i know i've been passionate about this for three years now i'm behind the curve i'm trying to be the best in space best in industry and I can't even get, you know, my bosses to pay attention to what I'm trying to say, because I had no, I had no platform to speak from, right? It was just a passion. And it was just like, I know that this is a big deal. Um, and I had to just go like, it wasn't like, oh, well, this is how we've done business in the past, right? Yeah. So like, you know, I don't know about you, but the brands and manufacturers we talk well, this is what we've always done. This is, you know, this is the way that we do it. The whole say, so, well, what about Sally and accounting? And what about? you know, bill in sales, he's going to be upset if we start selling on Amazon because he's selling to 10 resellers that are all selling on Amazon. You know, the conversation goes, um, well, maybe there's a new way of doing it. You know, yeah, I, and let, me, let me talk yeah. about a new way of doing it.
0: Well, interesting, know? what you said there about following, people will follow when they're inspired. You, you, there's a real difference and it doesn't matter where you are in your journey, you know, whether you're still at school listening to this, Right. You'll be inspired and follow the teachers that are engaging, that inspire you. You're, you know, I can remember my physics teacher. He inspired me not because I like physics, because he took us on trips that took us walking up mountains. Like that was inspiring.
1: Because you're a doer. You're a hands-on worker, right? Some of us, we're not all the same students, right? So some of us are doers. So for me, I had a history teacher that actually went to Egypt that like went to these places, had pictures in the lessons of him, like in these places. And so he's talking to me about them. He's storytelling. I'm captivated. I could have repeated everything he said in class. The next class is math. We're reading out of a textbook, you know, like it's not practical applications to anything. And I'm just, I'm the worst student ever, you know, it's literally the difference in in style. Um, But I had this teacher saying the same thing, you know, like I didn't test out that smart Yet I'm leading an in I, I self-proclaim this, but like leading an industry in e-commerce and Amazon in regards to my team and what we're doing. There's yep. not a lot. There's maybe 200 of us, Andy, as far as like Amazon e-commerce agencies in the world, maybe 200 um, and way less of those that are actually efficient and, you know, yes. good, um, yep. you know. And so it's like to me. Um, just a big mindset thing. I guess I'm saying this to encourage anyone that's out there that's trailblazing, that's trying a new thing that hasn't been done. Um, the real skill here is problem solving and work ethic. Really, you know, you come into a problem, you you know, if you can repurpose the skills you learned before even better, right? Which is, okay, I learned Photoshop, I learned photography, okay, I, I you know, for me it was like fashion. Uh just like um, when I grew up with sisters, I grew up around the world, like, you know, it was a way of uh it was a way of um what's the word I'm looking for here? Like my brand, you know, there's a way of like, expressing, uh, expressing myself. Thank you. That's yeah. what I was looking for. It's a way of expressing myself. Well, if you have good taste in fashion and understand how colors go together and things like that, well, it's not that hard for you to see, a, a, you know, a bad Amazon listing. I'm making a comparison here. And be yep. like, ah, these colors don't go together. And this just doesn't look, feel right. Like there's something else, you know, we need to make this like, really jive and like you know uh feel like there's cohesiveness across the brand and you don't have to be a genius to do that right and obviously those skills grow as you get experience under you but for me it was some of those talents i had that i thought were just side jobs or hustles or passions or hobbies have really turned into any in commerce you need a whole lot of skills like yep. you don't you know you need logistics you need math you need like you know the ability to research you need to be able to write well you need like so either you build a team you hire an agency like one of ours or you know you need to dabble in all those things kind of to be successful um i don't know i just get excited about it
0: I think that the the typical entrepreneur that that certainly I come across in the e-commerce world is, yeah, they've started on their own. They've developed and built a brand. They've done a bit of everything like we've just discussed, you know, they've done a bit of everything and actually they get to a point where they still want to do everything, but realize actually what a piece I don't like, who can I get rid of these two and how quickly can I get rid of them to other people? Because you get to a busy Q4, you know, we've just come out of Q4 and You come out of that and all of a sudden you realize that was crazy. I'm not doing that again. You know, there'll be people listening to this that are still picking and packing in their garage, realizing, thinking I can't do that ever again. Like I I spoke, I spent every waking minute doing that. And then they're like, okay, I need a 3PL. Um, and then there'll be other people that are thinking other things, you know, they'll be like, you I didn't quite get my ads drilled in. I need someone to do my ads or, you know, actually how do I expand my brand now? You know, I've, I've had an Epic Q4. What do I need to do to take it to the next level? What other products do I need to bring? So many different things. But as entrepreneurs, we, we try and do, we want to learn how to do everything, which is amazing, but at the same time we've got to be able to release some of that and give that to other people. 100%. And also for people that haven't got there yet, the reason you haven't got there is because you haven't taken action yet. Like
1: yeah. or you're taking too much action yourself and not delegating or not leading or not managing. Yeah. Right. That can be the same case. And you know, that's something I've been focused on. Something I knew as a I'm I'm still young, okay, but like something I knew even when I was a little bit younger was uh Scaling is the number one reason why businesses fail, cash flow and scaling. Yeah. Okay. If those are the issues, those are going to be my primary focus way before I'm trying to scale or have cash flow issues. That has been my focus. So that when I get there, I'm not doing what everyone else has an issue with just because this is my problem right in front of me. Doesn't mean I'm not thinking about scale. I'm not thinking about how do I get myself out of this role? Um, Like for me, okay. a, A reason for us to partner, for example, is like, I hate, paperwork and the the nuances detailed nuances of like VAT and um you know getting an nri with canada to export you know to export goods and some of that stuff that goes into expanding internationally and you know we're talking about expanding your e-commerce business kind of bringing it back yeah that's stuff i hate right so um i'm just not good at it, right? So a move for me, even as a company owning my own agency and my that does the same thing, I might hire uh, an agency that specializes in Amazon Japan or Amazon Europe, or, you know, that that's their specialty, they help you walk, walk you through all that process. And, and, you know, get someone that understands the market, that's great at that, that that's their thing, that's their jam, um, and partner with them to get it done. And, and something about being a good leader is understanding what you're great at, what you're not. And, you know, plugging those holes and in some ways I wish like oh, I wish my team could do this so I don't have to pay this outsource firm well they can't at this point you know so you got to do what you got to do I, I want to bring this okay I want to get into the details I know you have a step a process for you know expanding brands you know taking them to the next level I want to get into that step process and make sure we give it enough time before we do I want to give one more shout out uh, to today's sponsor for our episode of startup Hustle. Today's episode is supported by Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat discussing tech topics, big, small and strange. Like I said, I I checked out all of their episodes. Uh, One of the last ones was how are tech hubs changing, um, you know, today. And they talked everything about from gentrification to, um, you know, taking cities that aren't on the map and putting them on the map to bringing in talent to cities that weren't there before. You can learn more about Compiler at RedHat.com or clicking the link in our show notes um i'll have a link a link to the sponsor as well as to everything andy here as we're wrapping up okay so to the next stage of this I because i could just keep talking about mindset and like you know
0: yeah know, how, you, how
1: you get good at this yeah. or, or, or e-commerce because it's something that you know when i got started in this space there wasn't even youtube videos sure there was youtube videos to look at photoshop or some of those things yeah um but there wasn't youtube around amazon really it was wholesale it was arbitrage yes it wasn't things like brand registry or map pricing or reseller agreements or international expansion no one was doing anything like that so it really was not looking to the past or history to show me what to do here but really just trying to figure it out myself you know and and that's why i think we bring so much value is is the ability to do that um let's talk about your process there at global e-commerce experts um what does that look like to take a brand internationally or to expand like if a brand comes to you let's say they're already launched in the US or let's say let's say they're already launched in the US um or wherever they are in the world, they're launched there. They're saying, Andy, we're doing a, a, a decent job here. We don't know. what We don't know. Uh, we're doing a decent job. We feel like the next opportunity for us, you know, from everything we're reading, whatever is to go to Canada, Europe, uh, Japan, Australia. We don't know exactly what should be next. Um, you know, what should we expect as a brand or a man or a seller um, to need to jump through? What hurdles should we need to jump through? What should we prepare for to, to expand?
0: Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we've we've over the years we've expanded thousands of brands now. So what we've looked at is over we've refined this actually. This this was a six-step process last year. Unfortunately okay. we've made it a seven-step process, but that's life, isn't it? You know. Um but we've we've and over the years we refine it because it's an ever-evolving process because what happens is is regulations change and you yeah, the market changes. And, Brexit, and going back man. to what you were saying about YouTube videos, you know, in the early days, we're all trail brazing this because this is this is new. You know, we were learning this, we were going find finding out all this information and basically making it. Because how we started was you know, we were doing UVAT VAT and we started with warehousing, really helping clients and people coming to us saying, We've got this problem. Being the entrepreneur I am, I'm like. Well, I think we can solve that for you because I know so-and-so and I know so-and-so. And before you know it, you've done that so much that you've identified what the, those crucial steps are.
1: And That everyone has to go through.
0: That everyone has to go through. And of course, now what's happening is people are coming to us and saying, well, how do I expand? And we're like, well, here's the steps. Because if you want to successfully expand your brand, you know, there's a number of different ways you can go. And, and this seven-step formula really, Could be used if you're going to Europe, to Japan, to Australia, to Canada. So what I'm gonna do is give the sort of seven steps if you like. Now, we really focus in and hone in on Europe at the moment, you know. Okay, so
1: real real quick, just because not all of our listeners are Amazon, you know, focused uh listeners, you know, they're from all over, you mentioned VAT and warehousing. I'm not sure that our listeners know what VAT is. So It, can we just break that down real quick? Of course we can.
0: So when you are expanding to a new market, there's lots of different things you need to consider. You need to make sure your products compliant and your business is compliant. So if you take the business side of things, you know, you've got to make sure you've got VAT's value-added tax. So okay. sales tax to Nexus. Think Nexus if you're listening from the states, you know, and you know, think Nexus instead of you know all the different stakes you've got, think of VAT in all the different countries there are. Okay. So so it's exactly the same headache with Nexus as to VAT. Um it's just a slightly different way of looking at it. And you know the so that that's what VAT is then you've got okay. things like product compliance. So there's there's a whole host of different things and in different places it's not VAT it's GST. You know there's just slightly different wording depending on where you are in the world. But the the thing's to focus is on is not necessarily those little bits—it's where you're going in those ind- in those markets—and then thinking, okay, I need to get my business compliant. How do I pay my taxes and my dues for the one of a mm. better word? Um, so that—that's really what we got to, and we looked at this from, you know, what all of these sellers have done because, you know, th- there's so many hurdles. And yep. what we have really focused on is, you know, what I'm going to give you today. You know, we could we could sell you everything we're going to do. But the reality is everything is out there. It's on, we've done YouTube videos, we've done podcasts, we've done webinars. We have literally told everyone how to do this. Mm. Um, if you want to do it, coming back to what we were talking about earlier, there's different ways of doing things, isn't there? You know, in the early days, you're learning how to do it. You're going to a YouTube video, you learn how to do it, and then you're going to work it out to do it yourself. Because you haven't got the cash to do it, but you've got the time. Yep. You go through a whole load of reiterations and you get to the point where actually I've now got the car, cash, but I don't have the time. So dude, you know what you're doing? Here's the cash. You do it for me. And obviously there's a myriad of options all the way in there. And that comes completely back to the mindset where, you know, I think 10 years ago, I never would have paid anyone anything because I'd have been like, I can do this myself.
1: hundred percent. That's a flaw. Right. And okay. so it's that thinking of what got me here is not what I need to get me there. I think of that all the time because I'm a doer. I love to work. I, I've i pulled all night like I'm in year seven. You know, I pulled all nighters last year. A lot of them, maybe a dozen. Right. When when it came down to it, I was in the zone or I had the project it had to be done. I still love the work. Um, I work alongside my people because I enjoy it. Like that's how that's my leadership style. Um, and what I will also say is like, I've paid for coaching. I've paid, I'm paying consultants now to help me process out my business. Uh, you know, I've paid, uh, speaking coaches, uh, sales, copywriting coaches. I would have never done that. Never. Mm -hmm. If I didn't believe myself to be an expert in something now, I see value in what I do and I am an expert and I'm worth paying because I'm going to save you a lot of trouble. And now because I can see that in myself, I can see that in others. Does that make sense? Like, right. It's like, okay, this guy could be. Um, an expert that can teach me a lot of things and can save me time. And why why do I think that? Because I value what I do myself. Would um, you
0: quick question for you? Ten years ago, would you have paid someone a thousand pounds to do a course if you believed that would have got you as opposed to now?
1: No, I wouldn't no. have when I didn't have the thousand dollars. Yep. Okay. Um, and something i did one one option we didn't mention there was you're either doing it yourself you're paying someone i i I was more like a little african uh in that way and that i traded i was always trading i'll do photo you do photos for me because i need content i didn't have a photographer in house like you do photos or video for me i'll give you office space i'll let you you know have the company van i'll like you know you need it for this event or like things like that
0: yeah Uh, because i We've done yeah. loads of them. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have
1: the money, right? So it was just like, what can I do for you as I'm getting some skills yeah. that we can trade and barter? You know, um, that was a big a big one, a huge one for me that got me here as a bootstrapper. I'm a bootstrapper. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly okay, exactly I,
0: the same here. You know, that ability to to build the business with your own cash, uh, with profits from the business, always being profitable is absolutely critical to the growth. And that scaling bit you're coming back, You we were talking about, you know, the, you, you, as you scale and grow, people talk about growth pains, right? And you're like, no, I won't ever have those. No. And you're like, I know they're coming at some point, but when are they coming? And all of a sudden these, all of a sudden you're like, "Ah, that's the one, you know,
1: (laughs) the pandemic hits sped maybe e-commerce up five years, you know, six years. I think not that we weren't growing as we grow, but it sped everything up. Right. Like, um, you know, think of think of Italian brands. I think of like I work with some Italian brands. I think of them. They were shut down forever. Um, What are they you know, doing with their product? How are they keeping people employed? Where, you know, cool, they should be expanding at that time. They should have been selling to some of the markets that were open, you know, and um, that was a lifeline. And um, so more and more and more and more companies coming online because of something that happened worldwide. We're talking about e-commerce expanding right? And an expansion. And that's what I'm talking about worldwide here. I would have never thought um, I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, in the middle of the US. Okay, for people that haven't been here, you know, we have a lot of pride here. We're like a Midwestern Silicon Valley, a lot of great people have come out of here. But most people think of it as like a cow town. It was an old cow town. It was famous for like, you know, moving cattle across the US. And um, that's just kind of our reputation. And yet there's people on the other side of the world that need what we do so bad that they're contacting some small startup in Kansas city, Missouri to help them, you know, expand internationally. And to me, that just gets me off. Right. It's (laughs) just like, I'm literally getting contacted from, from Europe. I had a call with a guy from Nigeria uh, this week that was just like, you know, wow. I'm talking to a guy in Nigeria right now that found me. Uh, That's crazy to me. Uh, You know, but, all right. I don't want to get us derailed because I really want to provide some value. We were yes. talking about the steps and I took us off a little, yeah, a little sorry. tangent. That was my probably.
0: fault probably as well. We're, we're getting too excited here, aren't we?
1: Well, I'm passionate about That's it. Good. That's, you know, yeah. you can't build in it. You can't create an industry or or lead an industry or um, trailblaze uh, without passion. If you don't have exactly passion, right. you're in the wrong business, you know? So, all right. Okay.
0: Right. So let's get into this. So look, there's seven clear steps, seven steps to make your expansion as easy as possible. And we'll we'll we'll, we'll I'll, I'll go through them step by step. Give you a bit of content around them. You know, I could talk about all of them for days. So okay. I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go high level. Um, perhaps if you pick out a few bits. If you're if I start talking some lingo that people might not know, then then pick that pick that out. Fire it at me, and then go from there. How's that sound?
1: Sounds perfect. Wicked. Shoot.
0: So the first thing is is market research. I mean, I know this sounds really simple and really easy, but what sells in one country may not sell in another. And you need to look at, You know, when you start looking at Europe specifically, you know, there's different parts of Europe, there's different products that sell well. You know, the UK doesn't have a snow season. There's not really any snow in the UK. There's a lot of people to go skiing, but selling car tires with you know, tracks on them or, or or stuff on them to stop them they won't sell in the uk and i'm using it as an example right you know th- but actually in other parts of europe italy we were just talking about in the alps in france you know actually they would sell really really well they're not going to sell in greece you know? So there's different parts of Europe, depending on the product you sell, is going to depend on what's going to work really, really well. So the first thing is to identify if your product's already been sold or something similar. If it's not being sold, is there a market for that product? The reality is there probably is because I know all the products I see, I see new products coming through every single day that I've never thought of or never seen. And I'm like, that's going to be awesome. The downside to my job is that I see new products coming through every day and I've got a house full of Amazon products from our clients that I buy because I just think they're awesome. Or, and I say Amazon, it could be Shopify, eBay or anywhere else. You know, it's just one of those things. So getting understanding the market is really, really important.
1: And One note there. One note there, one yes. note there because I, I was glad you said that if there's not something there or similar, it doesn't mean it's a no.
0: Yeah, right. I, I
1: personally, as someone who's been in this a long time, I've launched plenty of products, even in the U.S. The first marketplace that there was no one before us. Chicago. I was the first to sell steaks on dry ice and ship food products way before Whole Foods, way before people were selling food on Amazon. Yeah, we figured it out with some handling time, and you know, we got really inventive uh, with that. We weren't using the FBA model, and yet, you know, selling uh, high-end steaks. Another one was men's uh, formal suspenders, a hundred dollar plus a pair. The closest thing was $9.99 or something like that at the time. Yeah. We're 10 times that amount. Can it sell? I don't know. Let's take a chance. We see a demand for suspenders. Well, you know, so some of these things, like just because a market doesn't have it, a lot of these emerging marketplaces are brand new. Yep. That's more of a risk. Um, and the other thing is, like, you know, so maybe the UK doesn't really have snow. Um, Australia has been an awesome market for us because we have flip flop seasons. Yes. And so a lot of my brands that have seasonality issues, maybe not issues, but a seasonality yep. type of brand in the U S we take them to Australia. They're now selling in their slow season in the U S they're selling better in Australia because of the flip flop um, and giving them more balance in their business. So awesome. Okay. I just wanted to add those two notes because I think that's huge market research.
0: Yeah, no, fantastic. And then the last part of that market research is product sourcing. Now I think the key thing to say here is, is, you don't change your sourcing method straight away, but is there opportunity to source your products somewhere else, and what I mean by that is the cost of a container being fifteen to twenty thousand dollars at some point you're going to need to consider is there another option? Can you source those products and be made in europe? you know Could they be made in a different part of the world? I mean I know we're all talking about this right now because it is a massive piece. So you know, one of the reasons we set up a shipping company was to help our clients reduce costs and we'll come on to shipping shortly. But, you know, the, the, the product sourcing, you know, we took a shipping company on to build out shipping, but now I'm telling people to source their products in Europe because they ain't going to win otherwise. Things
1: change. Things change. Like-
0: you, you've got to adapt. And, you know, is there somewhere where, you know, we've taken on some clients recently who didn't launch until they'd found somewhere to source and make their products in Europe. And at that point I was like, this is where we got to start going. Um, so that that's the market research piece, you know, make sure your product can be sold, do some research, make sure you're going to make some cash and ma- see if there's a sourcing option that's available to you. Don't change initially. And especially at the moment with COVID, you know, can you travel? Can you not travel? You're better off sticking with what you know until you've got a real understanding. Yeah. You know, there's no yeah, point.
1: Maybe having a little bit of less margins or whatever, but have, having a product with less margins, but having it and having it in stock and being able to sell it and keep your customers is more important than being out of stock for four months because logistically you couldn't get product or you're at the bottom of the totem pole as a new brand uh, and, you know, push to the bottom of the queue. Uh, so, so great advice. Latin America being one of the big ones we're talking about for, you know, a lot of US sellers, like where can we go besides China, Latin America really popping up big right now um, because, you know, obviously we, yeah. have to ship, we don't have to ship by boat. No. It can be trained up or trucked up. Yeah. So added cost, but but better than not selling at all. Great stuff.
0: I totally agree with that. And I think I think the key thing is before we go too much further is that you know the, the thought of expanding expanding your business, a lot of people think it's just too difficult. I'm going to need people for this and people for that. You know, the reality is you don't need all that, and we'll come on to that at the end. But you know, for people listening, thinking, "Ah, oh, yeah, I've talked about it. someone said it didn't work. It did work. I know some people doing some epic stuff. It seems like a lot of work. You know, nothing, nothing that's good is easy, mm. uh, but it's about making it as easy as you possibly can for you.
1: Uh, being able um, to pivot, being able to, like setting yourself up to be able to pivot, thinking long game, thinking okay if this doesn't happen and FBA limits my stock, do I have FBM set up? Am I going to be able to yes. you know s- source products? Am I going to be able to continue to ship for customers? Think about the customer first. Um, it is it is that pivot and having options. Um, you know if a lot of brands like I have a brand right now, Canada is our number one, is our best marketplace we launched in the us canada's we have five number one bestsellers we wouldn't have known that if we hadn't expanded that's what's really kept our business going in that brand yep. um and we actually went to the uk and pulled out this was like years ago yeah because the uk went through all these changes you had to be warehousing to sell in the uk now you don't you can just do fba all these things change yeah um canada won uk failed you yep. know how do we see it
0: yeah yeah yeah. it's exactly that and, and as you exactly that as you say you know the markets are changing all the time you know, the attitudes are changing, the perceptions are changing, the regulations are changing. And what works one day might not work the next day and vice versa. It's so adaptable. Um, yeah. And you've got to adapt with it. So, okay. So market Moving research on. is that first piece. The second piece is compliance and we touched on it briefly a minute ago. You The compliance piece is about getting your business and your product compliant with that region. So in Europe... We talked about VAT. You've got to make sure your business is registered for VAT where you want to sell the product broadly. There's a whole load of if not, if what's, maybes, you know, one-stop shops, a whole load of words that I could confuse everybody with. But the reality is you need to get your business VAT registered in the countries you're fulfilling from to start with, okay? And what you need to do is you need to do that in the UK and in Europe. And our traditional approach right now is you register in the UK, Netherlands, and Germany. They're the three um, that you register off in straight away. And that's the best options depending on your strategy. And there's lots of different strategies. So that's the, the business compliance side. There's a couple of other sides to that. So your product, if you're selling your product in the US, I can almost guarantee that your product will, not your product necessarily, but your label will need to be adapted because the regulations here in the UK are different to those in the States. Therefore, your product might still be compliant, but the packaging is worded slightly different. So you might- Example here,
1: example here for our US customers that like, maybe not understand this, you know, US is becoming more and more and more Spanish, like as a second language, Spanish dominates uh, the US as our second language. And, um, Soon, it might be the primary language, honestly, uh, just Latin America, you know, is becoming more and more prominent in Spanish speaking people. Um, but Canada, for example, has a French aspect to it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we're there's certain categories of product that if you don't have your label also in French, um, you know, ingredients, I think foods, things, pet supplements, things, things that go in your body. Um, you know, if your label is not in French, um, you can't sell there as well. And that can be a cost that can be, you know, planning, maybe relabeling, rebottling, splitting your shipments, sourcing from a different place so you don't have to relabel. Um, you know, we could talk about it all day, but like you said, it depends on where your strategy is. Yep. Um, but those are the things you got to kind of think of.
0: And what I'd say is, yeah, we've done a whole load of podcasts, webinars, YouTube videos, like everything you can think of. All of these little subjects, you can go and grab more detail, uh, you know, and I will give you a link at the end. You can go and grab all that information to make that easy.
1: But Or just or just call you and hire you. But,
0: yeah, well, yeah or just talk, talk to one of our experts. You don't even have to hire us. We'll, our, our success managers will probably speak to you for hours and hours on end because they're just so passionate about it. Um, just, and then you want to use us to use us type approach, but so you know, you've got to get the business compliant and you've got to get the product compliant and there's a whole load of things you need in there. But one last thing in the compliance piece for a lot of brands we see right now is also getting your product trademarked, making sure that you you've got that brand with a trademark so that you can't get infringed on it. The brands we see winning right now are brands that have got a trademark, there's no copyright issues, there's no infringements, or there is, but they can shut them down quickly. And the brands that aren't doing that are finding that more difficult. So that that is, is compliance, but it's not. The, you know it's it's more it's brand the, protection
1: the it's control as as, as an amazon experts so at this point marknology whether you, you might not have a trademark but there has to be plans for a trademark for us yes. to want to even engage we need all those extra tools that come with something called brand registry which is what you get on amazon it's not just for protecting your product from being copied or you know those types of things it's also access to these tools yes. uh, on amazon whether it's marketing tools advertising tools uh, creative storytelling tools that you only get if you prove that you're a brand. Um, you know, on the platform. And that's something that Marknology goes hard on. Um, it's a must. Yep. Okay. Totally we have good. like three more minutes before, before we're past that time. So we need to hit the next few points a minute okay. each. Let's so, crush them out.
0: Let me crack these through then. So the next one, marketplace launch. So it's about launching on which marketplace, how you do it and where you do it and how you ship the products to it. depending okay. on how you're doing your, your logistics or depending on how you do that, where you ship it from. So, Choosing the right marketplace strategy for you is the critical next step. How do you work out what's the best marketplace when and where? So that's the next thing. Obviously, translations come into that, payment providers, stuff like that. The next thing let
1: me me add one note. Let me add one note there. So, like Brazil. Different, different barrier to entry. It's about getting approval. There's one shipper, there's not all these options. It's like, okay, Brazil. Um, a lot of our sellers, depending on their budgets, so translation and redoing graphics and videos and everything to be translated costs, has a cost, right? So yep. a lot of times we're saying, hey, let's launch in the UK before Germany and the Netherlands and Italy because those we need, to- need to translate. Yeah. yeah, English, right? So like lowest barrier, I guess, lowest barrier to entry, yep. Canada, um, UK, Australia, the English markets first before we start tackling foreign language, right? So that's some of the thinking.
0: Yeah, I t- totally agree. Because, th- th- and that keeps it really, really simple. So the next thing is, 3PL, third-party logistics, warehousing. You know, if you're based overseas, you get a return. You're going to need to do a removal order in some way, form, or another. You're going to need to bring stuff into a warehouse at some point. Where yeah. is that warehouse? You're coming back to the fulfilled by merchants. You know, here in the UK and in Europe, you want to sell a fulfill prime. You know, if Amazon shuts, your, shuts FBA again, like it did during COVID, you can turn on prime straight away in your warehouse. Yep. We actually say, when we're doing a setup, get Prime, get Seller fill Prime, even if you put stuff back into FBA so that you've always got it and you've still got that trickling over where you need it. So, you know, a warehouse is a natural thing, especially if you're based overseas because you haven't got anywhere to get the removal orders, the returns for. But obviously, your strategy is much easier if you've got a 3PL because, you know, in order to be successful, You might be on Amazon, you might be on eBay, you might own your own website, you might be on On OnBuy, Frugo, Otto, Ball, Real, Allegro, and all the others that come with that in order to be successful. And you can do that by one piece of software. You know, it doesn't have to be difficult. The next thing is promoting your product. How do you promote your product? What are you doing to get that strategy to push the products out into the world so that they can actually sell? Don't think you're going to be a to come here, put your stock on Amazon, and it's just going to sell. It's not going to happen unless you're incredibly, incredibly lucky uh, and gifted. The reality is you're going to have to put some bucks, pounds, euros behind it to make that absolutely fly. And then there's two last things. In order to be successful, you're probably going to need a website at some point, and you're probably going to need a strategy to build out off marketplace. We hear a lot about it now. It's absolutely key in Europe as well. It's about having a strategy to come off of marketplaces, Amazon, eBay, wherever that might be, to make sure that your brand is seen as a brand, not you know a Chinese import brand on Amazon. Yeah,
1: right? so something we're doing with the with the A well-established brand i'm not going to name them here they actually own five or six brands or a company of brands um you know they have a website uh that we're touching marknology focuses on amazon but we do a little of everything um and what we're creating in those countries is simply landing pages that are translated so we're not creating brand new websites but we have dedicated pages whether they're coming from germany or italy or france or spain or the netherlands or sweden or the UK. Those are all the ones in Europe, I think, that are that are available. Um, they're going to come and they're going to feel comfortable because trust matters, right? Yeah. And so they're going to feel comfortable. They're going to read it in their native language. Maybe they're still checking out on Amazon. Uh, perhaps that might be phases. What I can say is in this stage, let's say you have brand registry and a trademark internationally. Um, that's great. That can get you to the, to the next stage. The websites can be next, but it's really thinking about what's ahead anyway, right? Like, okay, I want to think about what happens if a pandemic happens. Well, all the brands that had an FBM backup option, uh, when we went through that crushed it. Yep. Right. So thinking ahead, what are we going to need down the line? Great stuff, Andy. And
0: then, and then the last piece really is really simple. is the growth phase. How are you actually going to scale that? You've got all these little bits going on. You've you've got everything in place. How do you scale that? How do you get your products into retail? What other marketplaces are you really stretching to? What other countries can you get to? You know, within within the region. So if you're in Europe, how you, what are you doing in Poland, Greece, um, you know, Spain, Italy? You know, where else are you reaching that all these massive opportunities are? And retail is a big one. You know, how can you get your products into a actual store because it's great selling online and um, I'm e-commerce is definitely the way forward, but actually is
1: that, is that number seven? Is that that, number seven? It's
0: it's a growth is number seven and retail is part of that. And obviously part of that is exit strategy. What is your exit strategy for that brand? Obviously there's a huge amount going on with aggregators right now. You know how long that will stay for no one knows, you know, clearly that's going to take on some, you know, take on to the next level this year, you know, aggregators buying aggregators, you know, it's coming. Like, there's no doubt about that. So, you know, but the longevity of all of that, what does that look like? What's next? You know, you know, you, if you've got an eBay store, you've got a Shopify store, how long before the aggregators move into those markets? Yeah, they're already doing it. But how, what do you need to do to set yourself up for that you know you've also got to leave some stuff on the table for these guys, you know we're working with a lot of aggregators that've got hundreds of brands that aren't in Europe, and we're like, well, we can just expand them, and because we do everything we've just said under one roof, so you know when you expand you'd only need the current ag- agency you're working with like you guys, and us no we can do everything, but obviously we if they're already working with you, you're already working with people you trust don't 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 move away from that you know, just use us as the next stage in that and put everything under that one barrier. Cause you go, right, Andy, I need to expand to Europe. What do I need to do? Our guys will just go this, 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 and this, and you can then go wicked. How much is it going to cost me this done? Okay. Let's crack on. And we can, I mean, we can expand brands in 14 days.
1: Oh, so, that's crazy.
0: You know, people can't get stock in 14 days. You know, it's, you know, but what I would say to brands right now is you've just come out of Q4. If you've got stock sat in the warehouse that you haven't been able to sell and you're thinking, what do I need to do with this? Right. The number one option is instead of sitting in Q1 thinking, I'm not going to get rid of this in Q1 and it's probably still going to be there in Q2, is what do I need to do to evolve this and adapt this and put this into a new market? If you've got stock there sat there today, I can get that selling in Europe in 14 days because we can do everything under one roof. You just talk to one person and we sort it. It doesn't get any easier than that. Okay,
1: we have to sign off. I think we should leave it there. Yeah. It doesn't get any easier than that. 14 days, honestly, is an amazing timeline. As someone that's done it myself, that's crazy. I agree. Honestly, Andy, there's not one thing I would have countered uh, that you said today so if I can validate kind of just everything you guys heard today it's like boom hit it on the money um, from growth to market projections. Um, I really want to keep this under an hour so anyone listening yep. on their commute can get it in well, I'm gonna have you back for a part two I think I think it's a must we're gonna we got more to talk about I think we could dig into those seven points and, and make another hour of content that would be oh, extremely valuable easy um, Andy. <laughs> Andy, we're going to link soon, whether it's in person or I'm, I'm in Europe or it's at a conference. Uh, you know, we're both part of the Ecom Cooperative, um, which I think is how we met. And I love being Great. a part of that. So if I don't see you um, soon, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, getting to pick your brain. Um, I'm going to have all of Andy's contact information in the show notes. Um, you'll, you'll be able to find it for anyone listening. If you guys want to get in contact um, or contact me, if you've already got my contact, I'll connect you. Um, absolute pleasure.
0: Fantastic. Thanks very much for having us on. It's been amazing to uh, speak to you again. Um, It's been great. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Andy. I know it's late there. Really appreciate you staying up late for the show. And once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was supported by Compiler, an original podcast from Red Hat discussing tech topics big, small, and strange. Listen to Compiler on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts. We'll also include a link in the show notes, like I mentioned. Many thanks to Compiler and Red Hat for supporting Startup Hustle. I'll see you next time, guys. Signing off.